Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. And today I am preaching Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. How faith in Christ is counted as righteousness to all who believe. All who believe the gospel. It's about how a person is made right with God. And that idea, how a person is made right with God and what part faith plays, is a question that has stumped many people. Many call themselves Christians, but do not have a truly biblical understanding of what it means to trust in God's promise to save. And so Romans 4, 1 through 12, explains how a person is made right with God. And it uses Abraham as an example, and we're going to see what faith counted as righteousness means. So if you're able, I want you to stand with me. I'm going to read Romans 4, verses 1 through 12. This is sermon number 14 as we go through verse by verse through Romans. Uh, We took a break, now we're back. So hear the word. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace to us. Thank you for your magnificent promises in your word. Thank you, Lord, that you count our faith as righteousness. Pray, Lord, that you would have your way in our hearts, in our homes, in your household, and every place you send us. Teach us now, comfort us, challenge us, all for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Romans is beautiful. I love Romans. It beautifully shows what it means to be unashamed of the gospel and uncondemned by sin 
and unconformed to the world. Chapters 1 through 4 is all about believing the gospel. Chapters 5 through 8 are about resting in the gospel. Chapters 9 through 11 are about rejoicing in the gospel, even when you don't understand how the sovereign grace of God works. And chapters 12 through 16 is all about living the gospel out in daily life. We are looking about, in chapter 4 here, about believing the gospel. And these verses we're looking at today tell us how faith in Christ is counted as righteousness to all who believe the gospel. And it is so important that Paul spends a long time eliminating every alternative to salvation by grace through faith in Christ. And he had stated the doctrine briefly in chapter 1, verse 16. Look at those verses with me. Chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. This is where it all started. This monergistic, God-centered theme. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It is so important, and he is stating this very briefly in those two verses, and then from chapter 1, verse 18, all the way to chapter 3, verse 20, he is showing how futile it is to try to get right with God any other way. You cannot do it. In Romans 1, 16 and 17, he's saying to us, God rescues every believer and only believers. In chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, we see that God is rightly angry with everyone else. In chapter 2, verses 1, all the way to chapter 3, verse 8, he's angry even with insider religious people who don't know Christ. In chapter 3, verses 9 through 20, he's angry with outsider unreligious people who don't know Christ. That everyone is under sin's power. It's a complete universal indictment of humanity. And then we saw in chapter 3, verse 21 to 31, that God is right to rescue every sinner he chooses to rescue. Everyone who believes. And it's all based on Christ being punished at the cross. Ours is a blood-bought salvation. Romans 3, at the very end, 27 to 31, tells us that righteousness by faith is, is the way it goes. It is not by works. He affirms that justification by faith applies to both Jews and Gentiles alike. And so now, as he's been building this case in chapter 4, Paul makes the case of justification by faith alone using the example of Abraham to illustrate and confirm what he has said in chapter 3. The big idea linking chapter 3 and chapter 4 is that everyone who is saved is justified by faith. Righteousness is by faith. Uh, Everyone who gets righteousness gets it the same way. There's only one way to be saved. And he uses the example of Abraham, the father of the Jewish people. You see his life recorded in Scripture from Genesis chapter 12 all the way to chapter 24. 
the promise of salvation to the ends of the earth was given to him. And then you see David being quoted in verse 6. There's the greatest Old Testament king of the Jews who basically said the same thing as Abraham's life is illustrating. You jump to the New Testament church and you see Gentiles are joined with Jews into the body of Christ as children of Abraham who walk by faith, not by sight. That would include all believers today. God promised Abraham that salvation would go to the ends of the earth. And so no one can say, well, you know, only Jews are going to be saved or, you know, Gentiles are excluded or maybe Gentiles are just second class in some way. This passage proves that faith in Christ is counted as righteousness to all who believe the gospel, and it is proven in two ways. This passage breaks into two parts. First, verses 1 through 8, Abraham's faith is counted as righteousness, and secondly, verses 9 through 12, all believers' faith is counted as righteousness. Look with me first at verses 1 through 8. Abraham's faith is counted as righteousness. Verse 1 says, what then shall we say? Basically, Paul is saying, what shall we, the Jews, say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? What did he discover? He discovered that good works count nothing toward being declared right with God. There is no saving credit for good behavior. There is no basis for boasting. Verse 2, if Abraham was justified by works... He has something to boast about, but not before God. If it was possible to be justified by works, boasting would be before mankind and before the face of God. And you think about it, it happens all the time. Mankind is congratulating himself in all sorts of man-centered ways for his man-centered works all the time. And those, those supposed good works are called filthy rags by God. And if Abraham's faith you know, equaled obedience, he could boast about all the things he did. I, can you picture such a ridiculous scene? Here is Abraham parading himself in front of all his friends before the face of God and saying, this is all the ways I've done to please God, all the things I've done, all the works I've done to work my way to God. Paul is saying, nope, won't work. And what proves that Abraham has nothing to boast about? Look at verse 3. The Bible proves it. The Bible. What does the scripture say? It's quoting Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. I need you to go to Genesis in your Bibles. Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Let's get a little background on that. Abraham believed the covenant promise of God that he would have countless offspring who would inherit the world. He believed in the Christ to come in whom all the promises of God are fulfilled. He believed that God would do what he said he would do. Start with me at verse 1 in Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And he's, 
he knows he's talking about offspring. And Abraham, or Abram at this point, basically says, well, hold on a minute. There's no way this could happen. He says, oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And God is speaking to a childless man. And he brought him outside, and he said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them if Abram was a really good mathematician he still couldn't have numbered the stars then he said to them so shall your offspring be see the uncountable stars in the sky must have been nighttime right and verse 6 tells us he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness Go over to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 tells us the same verse, it's quoting Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Galatians 3 says, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And it says, therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham and the scripture... This is awesome. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. You see that? The scripture, we're in Galatians 3, 6 through 9. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations shall be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. That's why James chapter 2, verse 23 says, the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, quoting Genesis 15, 6 again, and then said, and he was called the friend of God. You want to be called the friend of God. You don't want to be called the enemy of God. Now stay in Galatians 3 there and look at verses 15 through 17. Look what it says. The promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. And immediately you're going to think, of course, I know who his son was. We're not talking Ishmael. We're talking Isaac, right? Wrong. The promise was made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say to offsprings, not plural. Referring to many, but referring to one. Look what it says. And to your offspring, who is Christ. Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. This is key. Why then the law? It was added because of sin, because of transgressions, until the offspring, Christ, 
until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. Abraham believed in the Christ to come. And now, now we're going back to Romans 4, verse 3. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And we are now introduced to an extremely important word. The word counted, reckoned. It's the Greek word logizomai. It's seven times in this passage and even more in this chapter. It's an accounting term for you CPAs out there and your accountants out there. It is an accounting term meaning to count, to reckon, to credit to someone's account, to enter something into an account book, to put something into someone's account. Like if I put money into your checking account, your bank account, And the emphasis here is on what is reckoned and who it's reckoned to. God credits Christ's perfect righteousness to a believer's account. Pronounces sinners like Abraham and you and I not guilty, perfectly righteous before him when we trust in Christ. John Calvin said this righteousness, the basis of our justification, does not exist in men. It is the mere gift of God. It is enjoyed by faith only. And not even as a reward justly due to faith, but because we receive by faith what God freely gives. It is counted. It is reckoned. It's the word imputed. It's a legal decision that God makes to count righteousness to Abraham just like putting money in his account. And it is a change of status, not character. And we need to differentiate here. It is a change of status, not character. Any change in Abraham's character after this righteousness was counted to him came after So when God counted righteousness to Abraham, he did so instantly. This is very important for us to understand. Any change in character came afterwards. It is the same with us when we come to know Christ. Instant justification, progressive sanctification. Imputed righteousness. That's a big word for us, and it's very, very important as you understand the gospel. Imputed righteousness, credited righteousness. It it is absolute. When God does it, it is absolute. It is eternal. It's forever. And it is instantaneous, and it is undeserved, completely undeserved. And justification by grace alone is more important than any external mark of being a Christian. Faith counted as Righteousness, that is one of the biggest ideas ever set forth. It's one of the biggest ideas that a human being could even attempt to grasp. One writer put it this way, God treated Abraham as though he lived a righteous life. His faith was not righteousness, but God counted it as if it were. He is given a righteousness 
that does not naturally belong to him. When you came to faith in Christ, you were given a righteousness that did not naturally belong to you. This is what we mean by imputed righteousness. Abraham, in and of himself, was not righteous or perfect, but God treated him as if he was. This is like me putting a a billion dollars into your overdrawn bank account legally. This is me giving you a billion dollars and depositing it into your bankruptcy. And now you are a billionaire through no work or worth of your own. The spiritually bankrupt, the poor in spirit, they get all the riches of Christ. It's the whole idea of us being loved and accepted in Christ while we are still sinful and imperfect and, and slugging it out every day with our sin. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 to 31. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We wrongly think that what we do is counted as righteousness. We think that the mighty acts that God enables is counted as righteousness. We think that works are counted as righteousness. Look at verse four. To the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Works deserve wages. Wages are deserved. When you get your paycheck, you don't write a note to your employer and say, wow, you are so gracious to pay me this pay period. No, you earned what you got. Unless you're like really lazy and stealing from your employer. You earned what you got. It was an agreement. That's why Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. The free gift of God, eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Works condemn, a gift blesses. Verse 5 To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. Pause. Did you hear what I just read? But believes in him who justifies the ungodly? Doesn't God justify the just? Doesn't God justify the good? And the worthy? And the hardworking? And the committed? No. The ungodly. That's you and me. The wicked. 
That's amazing grace. That's magnificent mercy. It should blow us away. We should be awestruck. And by the way, ungodly used here, you know, wicked is a very strong word that's used to show just how gracious the gift is. It puts the gift of God's grace in the, in the best possible light, in the strongest possible terms. And so when God saves you, you want to serve him with your whole grateful heart and life because you know you never deserved it or earned it. You didn't. We have no merit. We rely 100% on mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. I love how God makes it so clear that the only way anyone is saved is by grace. Faith counted as righteousness. He saves the ungodly. Verse 6. Another biblical reference. Just as David also speaks of the blessing. So now there's kind of a synonym here. Blessing for, for the salvation that is being given. The blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness. Same idea here, apart from works. David is saying the same thing. Uh, the scriptures are in agreement. Isn't it awesome that the Holy Spirit knows what he's talking about? Blessing. A declaration of blessedness to all who believe. That's a work of the Spirit of God. That's an attesting miracle of the power of God. It's the gospel truth. 1 Corinthians 15, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He died in our place so that we could sing with the psalmist the words of Psalm 32 verses 1 and 2 that are, that are quoted in verses 7 and 8 here in Romans chapter 4. This is a quote from Psalm 32, right out of Psalm 32 verses 1 and 2. So, Romans 4, 7, blessed, happy, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. I think as believers, we get very hardened to the fact that we were forgiven of our sin. We, we walk around as if we're so righteous and so right. I can picture Paul Reading and rereading Psalm 32. Sweet to his soul. Meditating on the gospel goodness of those two verses. And, and then the Spirit guiding him as he wrote Romans. And Psalm 32 is on his mind and could just flow to his pen. My sweetest times of fellowship with the Lord are focused on him and his word. Dwelling on his Beautiful gospel truth over and over again. Let's stop for a moment and just consider how we experience the, blessed, the blessings of forgiveness. This, this verse, this quoting Psalm 32 says, Your lawless deeds are forgiven. Your high-handed rebellion against God has been literally sent away with the scapegoat. Your sins are covered. Your failure to glorify God is covered over. It's covered up. The Lord won't count your sin against 
You, do you, do you realize that's the same word, count, reckon? So he's going to count Christ's righteousness to you, but he's not going to count your sin against you. And we get all judgmental towards people. We'll not credit. This is unimputed sin. Off the record sin. You get imputed righteousness and your sin is unimputed. It's not credited to your account. It's off the books. It's the first thing we see in this passage. Abraham's faith is counted as righteousness. He had nothing to boast about. No room for spiritual pride. And it's not just Abraham, but all Old Testament believers. They were saved by grace through faith. The only way anyone could ever be saved. Now let's look at verses 9 through 12. Not just Abraham and Old Testament believers, but all believers' faith is counted as righteousness. All believers' faith. All Christians are saved and united by God's grace through faith alone. Anyone who has true faith, a gift of God, to believe in the saving, finished work of Christ. Verse 9, is this blessing, this state of blessedness over being declared right with God only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? Is it for Jews or for Jews and Gentiles? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. So is the blessing of imputed righteousness and non-imputed sin for circumcised only, Jews only, or also for uncircumcised, for Gentiles alike. Verse 10, how was it counted to him? How was it reckoned to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? Great question. We gotta clear this one up. It's cleared up quickly. To Jews, circumcision was synonymous with being right with God. And Paul had already dropped a mind-blowing truth in chapter two by saying, circumcision by no means makes a person right with God. It's an outward physical sign True circumcision is of the heart done by the Spirit of God. So this question, was Abraham justified before he was circumcised or after, is very important. And any Jew would know the Saturday school answer. Righteousness was credited to Abraham in chapter 15. He was circumcised in Genesis 17. Not after, Paul says, but before he was circumcised. His faith existed prior to the sign of the covenant. Very important. Look at verse 11. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness he had by faith while still uncircumcised. A seal. Something that confirms, something that authenticates, a guarantee. In those days, it was a small seal, especially on, uh, on your ring that you would press into Hot wax, it was used to authenticate an official document. It was your signature. It would give you personal authority. Well, this is God's signature, God's certificate of authenticity. It's like a seal on an envelope, an outward sign of the authenticity of the letter that's already inside the envelope. Or the notary public proving who you are. Or, you know, we just went to uh, three different countries on our trip recently, and I'm going through uh, Austria and Germany and Cyprus and you know, I got to go walk up to the line and, and hand them my passport. And there's always that moment of nervousness like, what's on the screen? You know, <laughs> take this person into custody. You know, he stole stuff from the plane. I don't know. And basically, you're waiting 
for the person to agree that the seal of the United States government that says that I am who I am is correct. As believers, we are sealed, guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. Guarantee of authenticity and eternality of our salvation. It's a seal. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 says that um, the Lord knows those who are his. The seal, the seal is that the Lord knows those who are his. Well, here it's telling us that Abraham was justified before he was circumcised, and by the way, at least 13 years before. God declared Abraham's faith made him righteous before he had any kids. He was circumcised when Ishmael, his son, was about 13. So at least 13 years. While still a Gentile. While still a Gentile, he was declared righteous in God's eyes, So the works of the Mosaic law have no part in our justification. And the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And the idea is that all believers have Abraham as their spiritual father in the sense that he was the first one to ever be justified by grace through faith. Look at verse 12, to make him the father of the circumcised, the Jews who are not merely circumcised, but walk in the footsteps of our faith of our father Abraham that he had before he was circumcised. So a Jew can get saved if they're a believer in Jesus. Abraham is the father, the forefather, the leader, the the head, the forerunner, the, the first in a long family line of people who have been saved by grace through faith. Those who walk in that faith. To walk is a military word, means to march in file, to march in a line of following your commanding officer, to walk in a way, to follow a track, single file. They walk in the faith. What is faith? How do you define faith? People define it all sorts of ways. Faith is a trust exchange, is what it is. You transfer your trust from one place to another. You exchange trust in yourself for trust in God who saves. You overcome your supposed good works and you trust God apart from works. That's it. Abraham's faith is counted as righteousness. He has nothing to boast about. He he and all Old Testament believers were saved by grace through faith and all believers are, are counted righteous by faith Saved by grace through faith. No one can boast. We receive the gift of God. Now there are some significant observations on this passage, some implications for us, some applications to be made. I'll give you three. The first thing is this. Faith counted as righteousness eliminates spiritual pride. No room for spiritual pride in the life of a Christian. No pride in our knowledge, our experience, our accomplishments. It is so easy to make God's gifts idols of our heart. Wow, God has given me a gift to do this or that. God did it, but wow, I'm pretty special. And and dare I say humbly, a cut above the rest of you sorry losers. Well, I've seen things others can't see. My eyes are more blessed. We think this way. But all boasting is out of order. 
We don't boast in what we have done for God. We boast in what he has done for us. This is what Paul said in Galatians 6.14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can't boast that you're better or higher or greater than anyone else. Your Bible knowledge, your moral success, your friendships, your church membership, your gifting, nothing to boast in, only in Jesus. Salvation by grace alone brings us all to faith and repentance. Humbled together under God. And Paul is literally stacking up reason after reason after reason to play up that truth and its humbling implications upon us. So the first is there's no room for spiritual pride. Second thing is that faith counted as righteousness unites all believers around the gospel. Christians have a hard time getting along. All Christians are united by God's grace through faith alone. Abraham is the spiritual father of all who believe. He is not the spiritual father of unbelieving Jews or of Muslims. He is the father of all who believe in Jesus Christ, justified by grace, by no deserving of their own. Abraham, justified by faith before circumcision, so that the church would be one. That's what verses 11 and 12 are telling us. What does it say in chapter 3, verse 30? Indeed, God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. Literally, unity for unity. But can you imagine how difficult it must have been in the early church for Jews and Gentiles to get along? They had a literal dividing wall in the temple between Jews and Gentiles. Barrier broken down in Christ, but probably not in some of their home fellowships. Jews thinking they had a leg leg up on everybody else. Gentiles, you second class Christians. Gentiles thinking those Jews are so legalistic. Jews thinking those Gentiles are so licentious. And they're judging each other's motives. There are to be no divisions based on human distinctions. We, don't we often think our brand of Christianity is so much better? We sink in pride. And God corrects us. God levels the playing field. His sovereign choice is what matters. It is His sovereign choice who gets brought into the family. It's part of the beauty of Christ in the body of Christ that we learn from and, and balance and carry each other. We are to agree on gospel essentials. We are to agree to disagree on non-essentials. It's probably a different sermon, but what are the non-essentials? But it is edifying when believers who see things from different perspectives agree in Christ. Unity in diversity is a beauty. There is no room for divisive superiority. We should be humbled. Jesus is superior. And we should never, never dumb down or cheapen doctrine. It's a lie to say, oh, doctrine divides. No, the best road to a united church is doctrine. The gospel of justification by grace alone forms a unified, non-boasting church that reaches out with the barrier-smashing gospel of God's grace to a needy world. 
Jesus is the only one who can unify a church. Harmonized around the gospel, not fractured by divisions. The doctrine of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, humbles us to ground zero. By the way, we love babies. We love babies. <laughs> Revelation 5 tells us the lamb was slain, and by his blood he ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. We ought to bask in the blood-bought, unified beauty of the bride of Christ, being transformed together into the image of Christ. The only way anyone has ever been made right with God is by grace through faith in Christ. And that free gift of righteousness unites us and humbles us together under grace and makes us equals. Last thing, the third thing I want to point out is that faith counted as righteousness keeps us focused on God and his self-revelation in Scripture. But we ought never to displace God's word with ours or be sucked in by a smooth-talking, gifted speaker who twists the scriptures. I want you to go back to the first phrase of verse 3. Go back to the first phrase of verse 3. You see it? For what does the scripture say? You see that? For what does the scripture say? There is our authority to make any claim in the spiritual realm. The Bible says that's your best answer. You go off the reservation, you're on your own. So no matter what is going on and what anyone says, the word speaks today. And it matters and it is relevant in our lives. More relevant than the latest headlines. More relevant than the heart-wrenching horror stories we read. Think about what we have seen in God's word as we have gathered together as a church just, just since December. Romans chapter 3, being justified freely as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Zephaniah chapter 3, God rejoicing in and delighting in his children. Luke chapter 2, the glorious good news of great joy in Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, walking worthy of the calling with which we've been called. Malachi chapter 1, God's name will be great among the nations. Isaiah 55, an everlasting sign that will not be cut off. The transformed lives of his people are displaying his everlasting glory as he saves and sanctifies by grace through faith. And then Romans 4 right here. Don't you dare say this is dry theology. This is amazing doxology. Praise to God. This is leading to beautiful theology, truth about God, which leads to a Christ-centered biography, glory to God. Because ours is a blood-bought testimony. Do you hear what I'm saying? Ours is a blood-bought testimony. And faith in Christ is counted as righteousness to all who believe the gospel. That drives your entire life. Abraham's faith counted as righteousness. All believers' faith counted as righteousness. Your faith in Christ is the basis by which you are declared right with God. All works excluded. But how easily it is for us 
and our hearts to go after idols. Isn't it interesting? That the father of all who believe was from the nations, a Gentile, an uncircumcised Gentile when God called him and justified him. To that I say, praise God, there is hope for all of us. We have hope in Christ. I love how God does things his way so that we would know that he is the Lord. What does it foster? Humility amongst the redeemed, unity in the church, and a strong ministry of the word. No place for pride, no place for disunity, or putting our thoughts above God's. Just a humble church moving out with the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we can pray dependently now. We can preach your word humbly and boldly in our hearts, in our homes, in your household, in any place you send us. That we can love people willingly because you first loved us. And that we can proclaim and exclaim and be joyful about the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord over all. May our joy in him be full. And we pray in his name. Amen. Would you stand and join me?